All right, now we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we just quiet our hearts now. And before you, we want to hear what your spirit has to say to our hearts. I I know I'm hungry to uh, get some new uh, insights. Father God, speak to me, speak to us as we open your word and yield our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in the opening chapters of 2 Samuel, we've just traded in one war for yet another. Uh, 1 Samuel ended, as you'll recall, in a bloody battle, and Israel was fending off the enemy army, the Philistines. And in this battle, uh, King Saul, along with his three out of his four sons, were killed. And that seems to have appeased the enemy Philistines for a while. They got what they were after. I mean, literally, Saul's head. And uh, so all has been quiet on the Western Front, as it were, but no sooner uh, the dust has settled from this terrible battle that another war begins. A different war, not from the outside, but from within, among brothers, civil war, uh, the worst kind. So... um, You check out verse 1 here of chapter 3. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So that long time uh, referred there is actually seven and a half years. Um, We learned that last chapter, chapter 2 and verse 7. King Saul was deposed many, many years before, some maybe 20 years, uh, by the Lord, but he clung to that throne even after God had fired him. Um, And David was God's choice, of course, and many people knew that. And now here in 2 Samuel, now that Saul's out of the picture, one would think, uh, you know, David, the rightful choice by God, who's anointed to be king, could just take the throne, Uh, right? Wrong. Uh, One man stood in the way of God's progress. Uh, His name is Abner, and we met him. He is Saul's cousin. So I'm going to ask for that slide to go up and can stay up there, because when you're talking all these names, it's very hard to follow. So we're just going to leave that up there. So you'll know that the king of Israel now is Ishbosheth, who is Saul's son. And he has his father's general, Abner. And Abner is kind of key in these, these last two chapters and this uh, chapter as well. And then on the other side, you've got king uh, of Judah only is David. So David's been anointed for seven years by only his clan to be king over Judah. The rest of Israel, 11 states or tribes have not received him, but they're following Saul's kind of uh, son, who's a puppet king, and his name is Ishbosheth. All right. Now, David has his version of Abner is Joab. He's his general, and Joab is Abishai and Asahel's brothers. They're all three brothers. All right. And they're all three David's nephews. So as these three boys are David's nephews, Abner is Saul's cousin, and therefore he's still related to Ishbosheth 
maybe second cousins because it's Saul's son. So just as we're telling the story, you have well, who's on which side, and you know it helps me anyway. So I might, you may find me turning around to see that little chart. So the bad guy really in the story so far is Abner because he, for whatever reason, doesn't want um, David to be king. Um, Although Abner knows what God wants, he can't seem to comply, and there are reasons. And it's too bad because Abner has such huge influence with all of Israel, the 11 tribes. They love him. He's been their general, um, and uh, he is too much on the line to simply let David come in and be king. Uh, unchallenged, you know, so he doesn't want a brand new administration come rolling and he's got too much to lose. His whole life would change. And I would say, you know, Abner, for the better, God has your best interests at heart. But sometimes when God comes in and makes some changes that require humility and, and, and some changes that might be uncomfortable and humbling that we try to kind of position ourselves against God's will and for our, what we think, according to our logic, is our best interest. And it's always uh, a failed plan to do that. And so instead of letting go and trusting God, Abner's going to resist and cause pain and destruction to a whole bunch of people. Um, it's a strategy all too common in the body of Christ. Uh, so Abner's got his eye on himself. We're going to find out he's also got his eye on a woman, and uh, he does it, and he's got his eye on keeping his own position. Therefore, for seven years, he's propped up Saul's boy and said, this is the king. We're not going to have David. So there's been a fight going on for seven years. So here's the context. Abner uh, Abner's going to work now. Um, he's got... Uh, he set up uh, Ishbosheth uh, to keep himself in power, as I've been saying. And um, uh, so it's been seven and a half years, a long time. And we pick up the story now as the war is going to be coming to an end in favor of David. And it's important to know what has just happened in the war. And then we pick up. Um, in this ongoing seven-year conflict, we only get the details of one incident. We only heard about chapter two. But it's very, it characterizes in general what's been going on for seven years, and it's important to the story. And so I'll just refresh your memory. Um, in, in the last skirmish between the two sides, right, Abner had killed Joab's brother, Asahel. Now you'll remember how Asahel was like a star runner, and uh, he gets the nod to go chasing after. Abner, who's running for his life. So General Abner's yelling out to try to dissuade Asahel, who's behind him, catching up on him, saying, hey, man, don't do this. How could I ever face your brother? Turn aside, turn aside. Don't make me kill you. I don't want to. And he impaled him with the butt end of his spear. And it looks very much like he really didn't want to do it. It was like self-defense, though it was in war. After that, Abner uh, calls for a truce. David's side had lost 20 men. Abner lost 360 guys in that battle. So I made the point last time, 400 men lost their lives really because one man can't get his act together. One man's pride cause all of that problem. Remember James chapter 3 and verse 16. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. In other words, when you are self-absorbed and you are living a self-centered life, it is the Trojan horse that brings into your world every evil practice. It opens its door and out they all come one by one. And so it's really self-centered living is something to really avoid with all your heart. So it's been months or maybe even years since this has happened. But now we're going to pick up the story with that information. You have to know who killed who and who's mad at who because this is uh, where we pick up. So verses 2. So David's house is becoming stronger. You just read that in the text. And here's one of the ways that's happening. Verse 2 through 5. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam, of Jezreel. His second, Kiliam the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Maaka, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitel. And the sixth, Ithriam, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. Now, uh, Roman numeral number one for me is everybody's doing it, all right? So David builds a harem like all the other kids on the playground who want to be king because that's what you did when you were a king back in that day. David is establishing himself the way the world did it, and it's not acceptable in God's sight, but he did it anyway. So David's seven-year reign as king over um, there in Hebron over Judah, uh, he has six different wives bear him six sons. Now, the scripture is clear in our creation account. Um, We've talked about this before. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh, Genesis 2 And verse 24, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 8, Jesus affirms this. This is God's design. And uh, so we know God's heart on it, but it was commonplace and expected of kings in the world to have many wives and children. What it did was express power and status and building a dynasty. Uh, They would make treaties through these wives, marrying wives. And in fact, you can see that Maaka is a princess, she is daughter of King Geshur in your text. You see, so he married her, and he's got an alliance on his eastern side. And so this is what was going on. The, um, David's trying to be smart, uh, but the world's smart is dumb with God because God requires us to have faith and to do things his way. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17 warns kings not to uh, add to themselves or multiply, I believe in the verse, wives unto themselves. Kings were not supposed to do this. Uh, Maybe David was thinking, well, I'm not multiplying wives. I'm just adding them to my life. And you laugh, but you know how we are. We'll, we'll read something and say, well, I'm not actually doing this. You know, I'm, I'm, and we redefine it don't we? And so somehow or another, David has found a way to amass to himself uh, wives 
outside of really what God would require of him. There were three areas in that Deuteronomy 17 clause about, listen, kings of Israel, uh, watch out for adding wives and, and be careful with women um, and adding horses. That was a real sense of pride. Uh, horses were uh, like Ferraris having, uh, and so you had to be careful about your uh, pride. And also gold. They're cautioned about amassing great wealth. Uh, God could bless them that way. And in and of themselves, these things that I just mentioned uh, weren't a problem, except they were abused. And so the Lord says, if you want to be a good leader, a good king of my people, you're going to watch out for uh, women. You're going to watch out for horses and pride. And you're going to watch out for gold or money. Now, there's one more thing. Oh, my son, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. It's out of place for a king or a leader to be addicted to wine or to beer or to alcohol. And so really uh, what one writer called it, the four assassins of unsuspecting leaders would be sex, pride, money, and addiction. And it's uh, will trip anybody up, not just a leader and not just a man. You just change the gender there and you're in business. So uh, instead of doing what God expects of him, he does what the general populace expects. Now, why doesn't God say anything about it? Uh, he a has already said what he thought about it in Genesis chapter two and verse 24. And B, does he really have to? Uh, let me. Remind you, firstborn son, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar, in chapter 13. And he will be murdered by Tamar's full brother, Absalom, who is son number three. So now we have two sons um, murdered. Now we've got Absalom, in turn, will be killed, uh, trying to take the throne from his father, David. Um, maybe Absalom did that because his mother is royalty. So maybe he's just stuck on my mom's a princess from King Geshir. So I ought to be my father's David, but it wasn't God's will for, for Absalom. It was, uh, God's will for David. And so number four son Adonijah will also be executed by number 10 son Solomon. Now, you can do it the world's way, but just know this, you're going to have a lot of trouble in this life. Um, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to in person, but in the end leads to death. And so David will add more wives and have, I believe, 11 more sons. So back to the war between David and Saul's side. Verse 8. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now, Saul had a concubine. A concubine was a woman who had the relationship with the husband but didn't have any rights. 
And so it was a really sad situation there. And now Saul had a concubine named Rizba, daughter of Allah, and Ish, I, I can't read, sorry, I need glasses, I-E-I-I, you know, I-A-E-O-U. <laughs> and Ishbosheth said to Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said, and he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. When you say Dan to Beersheba, it's the most north to the southernmost point. It's like saying from New York to California. Ishbosheth, verse 11, did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Verse 12. Ishbosheth is like that. He's a puppet king. He's just he's just been put up there because Abner doesn't want to leave his post. You see. So verse twelve. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, "Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I'll help you bring all Israel over to you." So let's pause there. Secondly, now Abner defects to David's side, and it's interesting what pushes him over the edge. Now, um, we see that Abner's strengthening his position, um, but it's all going to be for naught. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us here in the text what we've already kind of guessed. Abner's really power hungry. He's the one running the show. Verse 6, he's strengthening his own position. Now, Abner, being the real power, has Ishbosheth as kind of, like I said, a puppet king. He's very weak, and Abner lets him know, you know, that he made uh, Ishbosheth everything he was and sustained him through military exploits. So, apparently, in the move to strengthen his own position, Abner's having a relationship with Saul, the late Saul's former concubine, a wife for all intents and purposes. Um, the deceased king's harem really belongs to the successor. And back in the day, if anyone made a move or put a bid on one of those wives or concubines, it was a bid for the power or for the throne. And so here we hear that... that uh, Abner is strengthening himself, uh, moving in, and now he's being accused now of sleeping with uh, Saul's um, concubine. Now, the name Rizpah, don't laugh, all right? Now you already are going to laugh because I told you not to, right? You get ready to laugh because I told you no. Uh, Rizpah in Hebrew means hot. <laughs> I told you. There you go. Now, she's a hot coal of a woman, all right? That's what her name means. And so she's beautiful. And now we find out, okay, what's keeping Abner from really wanting to go over and have David rule. Now, we don't know if the allegation is true or not. The text doesn't say. We do know that Abner denies it. Um, 
really forcefully and furiously, there are two possibilities. Abner's been found out and realizes that he and his plan isn't going to work. You know? Now, this is the way a lot of troublemakers are in the kingdom, whether it be your family, your church, or your job. Uh, when they get found out, uh, you call them on the carpet, they turn it all around on you, and then just leave. Um, that happens. You never want a self-absorbed Abner on your team. Uh, or he's innocent of this, but most commentators doubt it um, because of the previous line. Now Abner was strengthening his position in the kingdom. Next verse, and he's accused of doing what people did to strengthen their kingdoms. And so um, uh, in either case, Abner's red-faced, exasperated outburst really shuts Ishbosheth down. And the text, Saul's son here, doesn't dare say another word to Abner because he's afraid. Now, a normal king would have just had him executed. And I personally think that this weakness on Ishbosheth's part, his little fear and quaking of his tirade, is, gives him, Abner, more motivation. He, I think he's thinking, you know what, I, I want a real king. I'm tired of this wuss. I want a man, a king, you know, and so to serve under. And so that's what he's after there. I like to paraphrase his tirade for you. After all I've done for your father and team Saul, not to mention that you're on the throne because of me, I'm so out of here. I'm going to go help David fulfill what the Lord has promised him as the rightful king over all of Israel, every square inch. And I'm going to help the kingdom go from Saul's family to his, so help me God. And, uh, that's what he's going to do. Now, David Guzik said, Abner's a good example of those of us who know things to be true, but we don't live as if they were. Because he says, as the Lord has promised David to be king and ruler of Israel, he knows. He's always known. But just because you know, the problem is rarely, is it not, the problem is rarely lack of information or knowledge, but it, the problem is the will to carry out the thing that we know is right. That's what we see right here. And so verse 12, um, nevertheless, uh, after seven long years, Abner's going to make the big move. Um, then Abner sent messengers to David saying, doesn't the entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me and I'll help turn it all over to you. So Abner has signaled David, hey, David, I'm ready. Let's do this. Verse 13. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, Abner, but I demand one thing of you. Don't even come into my presence unless you bring me call daughter of Saul when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, the king, demanding Give me my wife, Michal, whom I'm betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way. 
Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back home. Now Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you've wanted to make David your king. Now do this. For this the Lord promised David, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Oh, look at look at who knows so much suddenly. Hmm. Wonder how long that has been sitting in his heart. Verse 19. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, just in case, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord, the king, so that they may make a compact, a covenant with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. So let's pause there. Thirdly, now better late than never. Right. I really think that's true. A lot of people think, you know, I've blown it thus far. Just continue. It doesn't work that way. It's very wise if God gives you the opportunity and the time to correct something, even though it's something that you've dealt with for years and years and years and never seem to get around to do it better late than never. So let the negotiations begin. And there's some good insights here. Number one, they don't deal directly with one another. There's been a lot between them. It's very volatile. So rather than meet face-to-face right away, there's third parties involved. I think that's really smart. Now, through messengers, David expresses that he's very open to have Abner's help in transitioning. Uh, But he has one demand. He says, I want me called back uh, Saul's daughter. Uh, she, She was his first wife, wife number one in his youth. And, and Michal loved him, had a crush on him, and, and he, her. It was his first, it's one wife, and uh, he wants her back. Uh, he says, I paid for her, I risked my life. He, he killed 200, he didn't bring that up. He, he killed actually double the amount of what Saul asked for. He said, just in case there's going to be a little problem with the numbers. And he, got, and, he, and he kills 200 people, risked his life, 200 enemies of the Lord there. And so uh, it's a smart move, too. Uh, he probably does love her, and he probably wants her back, because Saul, to spite David, said, Oh, by the way, uh, I gave your wife, my daughter, to somebody else. Illegally. During the fugitive years. So David says, uh, Give her back. I want her back. She's mine. But she's married. But I want her back. Now, it's smart because he's going to be legally the the king, the late king's uh, son-in-law again. Those children will be related to Saul's side. This will really help those who have a hard time letting go of the Saul side of the throne. So it's very, very smart, and it's probably very, very true. It can be smart and true at the same time. Now, uh, he, he's going to get reinstated here, and um, sadly, the smart move, and technically very legal, um, is going to cause some heartbreak 
to the current husband there you see in verse 16. Uh, But the good of the kingdom overrules the tears of Paltiel, the current husband. Now, in verse 16, you see something kind of interesting. Uh, Abner is kind of a tough guy. He, he is, he's a Chuck Norris uh, kind of guy, and he's very macho. Did you see how I changed my action heroes to Chuck Norris from last time because you all voted for him? So uh, Chuck Norris kind of guy. So Chuck is witnessing Paltiel trailing behind sobbing, and he says, in my paraphrase to Paltiel, seriously? <laughs> Man, go home already. Go home. And the guy goes, okay, I'll go home. Uh, Have some self-respect. This is what I hear him saying. You know, fight to death for her. And you, you don't want this to happen. Take out your sword and let somebody die. But don't, don't say throw me a hanky. Just go home. Go home already. All right, so he, goes, he says he's going to go home. And he goes home and Abner's got me call. Now, he had to get... Me call first before he can go into David's presence. Check. Got it done. Now, Ishbosheth has been told by David, give me back my wife, who is your sister, would make me your brother in law. David is going to become Ishbosheth's brother in law. Yeah, this is smart. He's a smart guy. Next step. Uh, so Abner confers with the elders. Now, the elders of Israel. Think of the 11 other tribes, 11 states, okay? Uh, he confers with the governors and the mayors of those states, okay? So the elders, he, here's his tact. Uh, he calls them together, and here's what he says to them. Number one, he says, guys, if we're all honest, it's something we've all been thinking about for a long time to make David king. Number two, uh, and it's something that the Lord has promised when he said through David, the Lord would save us from our enemies through David, So now Abner's argument is, hey, it would be a good move for us because the Lord's promise to him, A, is a good thing. B, it's even better because of the promise that he's going to save our skins. So maybe we should think about this. You know, and, and by the way, David has seven years, hasn't forced himself over there yet. Seven years he's been anointed king by only one state. The Lord told him, The whole thing's yours. He's waiting for an invite. He's been this way since day one. He is going to say when he sits on that throne, God put me here. I did not put myself here. He's waiting. He's patient. He has faith. He's not going to make it happen. He's going to allow the Lord to put him in that place. So next, David goes, per, uh, Abner rather, goes personally to the tougher crowd, the Benjamites, because they're blood related to Ishbosheth and, and Saul and to him. And, and uh, so Abner's own blood relatives, he goes to them and schmoozes a little bit. That's Yiddish for a nice little warm heart to heart. Uh, so all goes well. Uh, they're ready for the big meeting with uh, David. So Abner takes 20 guys on a mission of peace. You know, you know, Abner's smart too and uh, goes to meet David. Now, David, again, generous, gracious, wise, verse 20. He's prepared a banquet for them. He rents out at the Hebron Hyatt Ballroom and he warmly receives Abner and friends. And now verse 21, Abner's final words of the evening, David, 
Now, this is coming from the enemy, okay? David, my Lord and King, let me get up, excuse myself from the table, and go into town and get this all done. We can do this. The violins are playing. He's riding off in the sunset. Everybody's so happy. They're full. There's forgiveness and grace and mercy because, you know, he killed David's nephew. There's grace and forgiveness and agape love because that's the kind of king this David is. And so everything's going so well. There's been that great meal. And off he goes, negotiations were successful, and then everything's going to go south. Verse 22. Just then David's men and Joab, whose brother Abner had killed, returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron, because David had sent him away, and he had gone in peace When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner had come to the king and that the king had sent him away, and that time he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Are you kidding me? Why? I just added the, Are you kidding me? I just couldn't resist because I can hear that. Are you kidding me? Why did you let him go? Now he's gone, he's escaped. You know Abner, he came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you're doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner and they brought him back from the well of Sarah. But David didn't know about it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the gateway as though to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel. Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Joab takes revenge. So let's pause here, talk about this little paragraph. He kills Abner by impaling him through as his kid brother had been impaled through by Abner. It's a very bad move. It threatens to undo everything because Abner comes on a a mission of peace and all of Israel knows that they sent him in a goodwill uh, mission and then he's going to come back in a body bag. All bets off, civil war again, no plan. How David is going to handle this is going to be very, very important. This man uh, has done a, a bad thing. There's a secular proverb, in fact, it's a German proverb, it's not in the Bible, that says, all is fair in love and war, meaning in some situations such as when you're in love or waging war, (laughs) or waging war, you are allowed to be deceitful in order to get what you want. It's often said as an excuse for deception. Um... What the world thinks is reasonable, God prohibits. So killing in war is one thing. That's exactly what happened with with Abner, thrusting the butt of his spear in wartime, in self-defense, warning the kid over and over again in chapter 2, get away from me, I don't want to have to do this, go away. And the butt end of his sword, not the front end in malice, but the back end, get away from me, kid. He goes through, it was war this time, 
I'm sorry. It is cold-blooded, premeditated murder. As much as our hearts can go out and say, he killed his brother, right? So maybe some of you are sitting there going, if I were Job, I would have killed Abner too, no questions asked. And you would have been wrong and guilty before the Lord as well. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it's mine to avenge. I will, appay, I will repay, says the Lord. And that's Romans chapter 12. And if you want something from the Old Testament for non-retaliation, uh, um, privately, not militarily, it would be Proverbs 25 and verse 21 about loving and doing good to our enemies. And so here in verse 22, Joab comes back into town happy. He's happy because he just got plunder. He's successful, but it's short-lived happiness. He just missed out, he hears, on a love fest with guess who? Guess who came and had a big dinner at the Hyatt? It's our friend and yours, Joab, the guy who killed your brother. So this guy's like, you're kidding me. And he goes and he's not happy for three reasons. Verse 25, number one, Joab suspects Abner's deceiving David, working as a double agent of Ishbosheth. So he's saying, you've had the wool pulled over your eyes, man. Are you kidding me? You're a sitting duck now. He's not sincere. He came here to trap you, man. So Joab doesn't share David's love for God, faith, grace, or mercy. He doesn't know about the hope and the love that believes all things and hopes all things and a love that covers a multitude of sins. Joab doesn't know that. David knows about that kind of stuff. And David's a warrior too. So it's not like David is the poet kind of guy and he's just warm, fuzzy and grace and love. He's a warrior. You take somebody's head off, he has. Goliath's. And uh, yet he loves the Lord as well. Number two, Joab can't forget about his brother. It's understandable, not excusable. Uh, Abner is the, and, and thirdly, Abner's the same rank and skill and courage as he is. Abner may uh, take Joab's place one day. Joab now is thinking, you know what? They're, they're having dinner together. And you know what? He's a little bit more skilled than I am, actually. He's a little bit better with that. Uh, you know what? You know, it's better just considering everything, that he could be an enemy agent, that he has killed my brother, and that I could be out of a job. Strike three. Come here, I want to talk to you. And so here's what happens. It's terrible. Uh, Joab, unbeknownst to David, in verse 26, sends messengers after Abner, who's still on his way home to go get everything together for David and help him assume the throne. And here's what the messengers say. Yo, Abner, David forgot to tell you something, bro. That's very, very important. I think it has something to do with money. I thought I heard him say... Something about shekels, uh, schmeckles, I don't know. But come on. <laughs> come on back. And the guy, he comes back. Why does he come back? A couple reasons. One, he's just broken bread with David. He felt the love. He felt the grace. He's made a treaty with David. He's like, ah, I believe this. I'm safe. Number two, Hebron is a city of refuge. That if you killed somebody um, 
and want to dispute that and have a safe place for you to be uh, uh, to be given due process before anybody just hastily knocks you off in revenge. There were six cities to go to and Hebron was one of them. And that's why the guy is waiting in the gate before he can step through the gate and technically be against the law to kill him because he'd have to be tried. And you know what? He would have been in, in, in Numbers 35, according to the rules, he would have been found innocent because he didn't mean to do it. You had to be premeditative and all of this. He would have been allowed to live out his life. And Joab knows it. That's why he's in the gate. Psst, come on over here. And what is he thinking? Well, Joab's waiting, lurking in the shadows, and he signals, hey, hey, buddy, let's have a little word together. And Abner's probably thinking, you know what? First, this wonderful forgiveness uh, from King David. And now Abner uh, wants to, Abner's thinking, see, I'm getting them mixed up. Yeah, Abner's thinking he wants to kind of get right with me as well. He wants to bury the hatchet. Yeah. <laughs> You were right, Abner. He did want to bury the hatchet. And in the Hebrew, it's between the fifth rib. Fifth rib and stomach are the same idea in the Hebrew, under the fifth rib. And so the same fifth rib is used for the butt of the spear. So you just, you can't miss it. You impaled my brother. And how's this? And he impales him. And he dies right there. Let's finish up. 28 to the end. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner. May his blood fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. That would be his relatives, by the way. Uh, May Joab's house never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy who or who leans on the crutch or who falls by the sword or lacks food. Now, Joab and his brother, by the way, Abishai, murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes Put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the coffin. That beer means uh, the coffin with the stand. They buried Abner in Hebron. And the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. And all the people wept also. The king sang David singing again a lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before wicked men. And all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I take taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people and all Israel knew that the king, King David, had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to his men, do you not realize that a prince and a great man has fallen in Israel today? And today, though I am the anointed king, uh, 
I am weak, and the three sons of Zeruiah, his sister, that's his sister, David's sister's name, are too strong for me, my nephews. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. Now, in closing, time for David to distance himself from the bad guys who happen to be related to his sister and to him. Now, David has to quickly, thoroughly, convincingly prove that he had nothing to do with Abner's death. So he plays the most memorable role there at the funeral. He walks immediately in front of the coffin, and he's been fasting, and he's been weeping. Not very dignified for a king, but really impactful to the audience. Here's what uh, commentator Bergen from the New American Commentary on 2 Samuel had to say about this verse. David had been traumatized by the shocking turn events of that day. It had begun with a bright promise for national unity and peace, yet it ended with the threat of deepening national division and conflict. It began with the cementing of a friendship, but ended with the burying of a friend. As it had been the case throughout history, a despicable deed of personal vengeance put a crimson stain on the fabric of society and threatened to tear it apart. So David has a tough call here. He can protect his two little nephews who are only avenging the blood of his other nephew, their brother, his own sister's kid. He could say, you know, I can fully understand. Let's try to cover this over. After all, wasn't Abner really the cause of seven years of misery for me? I could have been king for seven years, but for this guy. Didn't he cost the life of, what, 20 of our guys and probably a lot more? So in light of the fact that the guy had killed his own nephew, his sister's boy, and in light of the fact that he's been a thorn in this guy's side, and, and the guy who stopped God's dream, as it appears, from coming to pass. And yet David is gracious and kind and merciful and has something nice to say. This is a man of God. This is called grace. And so he's got to choose between being one of a king like Saul, who would say, hey, let's just do it this way and uh, quit these guys and cover it over and all of that. You know, blood may be thicker than water, but there's something thicker still. It's God's word. Doesn't matter if you're daddy or mommy or boy, son, daughter, cousin, boss. Grandpa, what does it matter? What's more important? The truth. God's word and God's will being carried out. And David knows and he's got a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. But he, he knows acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. So verse 29 He's, he randomly curses. Those random curses aren't coming from David's heart. He's quoting from the curses that fall on the rebellious from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. So those terrible, kind of awkward, like where are you getting these curses from? Uh, they, they're coming straight out of the word of God. And, and what he's meaning by that is saying, hey, I may not take action against Joab, and he doesn't. 
God, may you and your justice prevail over Joab and every guilty party. Just because, you know, the brother, the other brother, Abishai, is named as an accomplice. And commentators say he's the one probably who went to get Abner and say, hey, Abner, yo, we forgot something. You come on back. My brother's got a surprise for you. Yeah. So he's involved. And just because you don't pull the trigger, if you set it up, you're just as guilty. You might as well have pulled the trigger. And that's what we see here in the text. So the minor players are not excused. Since David announces in verse 31, rather than rejoicing that the enemy's cut down, you guys ought to be out in front of the coffin, tearing your clothes and crying. This is the wrong way to do it. You're going to cost Israel uh, more problems. You're going to cause us more problems by taking matters into your own hands. And so uh, the song he sings, kind of paraphrased, it's just a couple lines, but David lets out a, a heartfelt song. He says, such a sad and undeserved and undignified way to die like some loser instead of like the warrior you were. Clearly, uh, Abner was a great man and, and that he's able to say those things. And he says, you know, a great man fell. He respects him and he takes away all of the, the bad because love covers a multitude of sins and grace sees us for our strengths. The way God sees us, the way we want to be seen by everybody and by God on that great day. When we stand before him, we're going to be unashamed. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be not put to shame. So that means you will not be blushed about anything. Never. And so this is the way he lives in life, the way he wants to be viewed in death. He extends the grace he knows he already has from the Lord in life. Even to the guys who, who like Abner, who had some misguided missteps along the way. And then it says all the people were quite pleased to learn that David was in no way part of this. So he was a good man. Taking his time, waiting on the Lord, not acting rashly, thinking, how, how does God want me to resolve this mess? It's not the last mess that will be in front of King David. But he handles these kind of crises with such tact and diplomacy and wisdom and love, but most importantly, grace. He's a man who knows about grace, and he wants to start a kingdom, not with vengeance and blood and, and bitterness and envy and strife. He wants to start an administration that's built on love and good works and mercy and grace. And this is the way he's doing it. And now look at what happens. Israel gets it and goes, David had nothing to do with this. He's calling down curses on his own nephews. He's smart and wise and God is using him. And the consequences, the fruit of that is that all Israel is pleased. And now it's going to be easier for him to come to the throne and be a blessing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful love and your goodness, your grace. We see it through David and how he treats a guy who had a lot of problems. But Lord, as we see your grace in your hand in the matter. We pray, Father, that we could extend that kind of grace and, 
and, and live in such a way uh, to be a blessing to others. We thank you for the truths in this chapter. And we ask the Holy Spirit to apply them to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.